Thank you, Mike. I am Rick Lyman. I'm one of the pastors on staff. I don't go by Reverend very often, but I'm just regular Rick to most. So we have the privilege here today to listen to God speak to us again. Isn't that an amazing thing that through his word, which has been preserved through the centuries, which he breathed into Moses, who ultimately wrote these words down in the book of Genesis, we get to hear God speak. And to be able to hear him the best, it's best when we posture ourselves before him asking him to help us understand what he's trying to say to us. God speaks to us through many different things, but his word speaks the loudest to us. So let's just ask the Holy Spirit to help us understand what God's saying to us. And also I invite you to pray for me as I share his word this morning, that I might do so in a way that honors him and that carries the weight that he desires it to carry. Let us pray. Precious Father in heaven, we thank you that you loved us so much that you gave your only son for us. We thank you that you came after us when we had sinned against you. That instead of meeting out justice on us, you gave us mercy and grace. And Lord, as we consider Joseph's life here this morning one more time, we pray that you'll speak to our hearts as we deal with relationships we have with others. May we learn the principles that Joseph learned in models in this passage to apply them very specifically. And God, we ask your Holy Spirit to open our hearts and our minds to what you are saying to us. And Lord, I pray by your Holy Spirit as well, you'll enable me to share your word as you'd have me do it. We ask you for these things in the precious and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, I suspect many of you have been around for the last five weeks or so as we've been pursuing a series on Joe, or the biblical character of Joseph, from Genesis chapter 37 till chapter 50, which we just, Mike just read it, led us in reading here this morning, and we've talked about a lot of aspects of how Joseph modeled mature and wise leadership, and I'm going to kind of chronicle where we've gone. First topic we covered in the first week we covered Joseph's life, we talked about Joseph being one of those average people where he started from, and leaders are average, imperfect people that God uses in spite of their flaws, and that's all of us, isn't it? Second week, we talked about the fact that leaders are tested, they're tried, and they're refined through trials. The third week, we talked about the fact that leaders are people who dare to pursue a dream. They break out from the mold, and they'll go after something that others don't see. Fourth week, we talked about leaders are faithful with little, and therefore they get entrusted with much. Joseph started out handling Potiphar's household and ultimately becomes the number two person in all of Egypt. And then last week, Dan led us in a topic of that leaders are people who exercise obedience over expedience. Today we're going to talk about leadership that, that Joseph demonstrates that exercises the most beautiful kind of power, and that is redemption, forgiveness, and mercy, and demonstrating grace. See, Joseph was really badly treated by his family. I mean, you've got to put this in perspective. These were his brothers. These were the people that should have had his back, and they nearly broke his back. He so aggravated them by being the fa his father's favorite, which never happens in a family, right? Parents don't have favorites. None of you have a favorite. You can never say it, of course. But in this case, Jacob didn't mind saying it and showing it. He made Joseph a target for his brothers, and they'd had enough finally, right? And so they take him out, throw him in a pit, what are we going to do with him? They beat him up, and they said, well, we can't just leave him here. Well, pretend he's dead. Tell our dad he's dead. And then they sell him into slavery. I mean, that's horrible. That's abusive. That's violent. That was painful. But somehow, 
Joseph overcame those things and went on to achieve God's destiny despite what his brothers had done to him. Joseph's whole life story is a biblical type or foreshadowing of Jesus. Just as it was God's will for Jesus Christ to come into this world to be our Savior, they had to suffer and ultimately die and be raised from the dead so that he could offer salvation to the whole human race. So in a figurative way, Joseph's life models that. He suffered, and he was basically given up for dead. His own father thought he had died. But he, through the course of life, trusting God's will, he got into a position where he brought salvation in the form of food and provision, not just to his family and the nation of Egypt, but to all the nations in that region. It's an amazing character. Joseph is an amazing person biblically. He was a great leader and a great person. And I was having this conversation with my brother Paul, who's also a pastor. Some of you may know him, talking about some of the great characters of the Old Testament. I said, Joseph is one of those that really never did anything wrong. He was a little bit brash as a young man, but he had a dream and told his family about it, kind of bragged a little bit, but he didn't fail as so many Old Testament characters did. And we started talking about it, and I said, even Moses, the great Moses, had his anger outburst, right? And I said, you know, when he came down the mountain with the tablets and he, he, he broke them on the rock, he broke the Ten Commandments, and my brother pointed out, well, actually, he broke all Ten Commandments <laughs> at the same time. He holds that one, one mark of distinction. He broke all Ten Commandments at one time. Nobody else has ever achieved that. <laughs> but Joseph had some secrets to his success, and I want to highlight a few of these here today. Number one, he learned somewhere in this process to forget the past, as brutal as it was. Secondly, he learned how to forgive Everyone, and I mean everybody, his own family members who had abused him, who had beaten him, who had sold him into slavery with an unknown outcome, they, he forgave them. Thirdly, he learned to find his sweet spot. He determined and understood what God made him really good at and stuck with it, and it got him all the way to the top, to God's destiny for his life. Fourthly, he stayed focused on God's call. He took the high road because he knew that he was on a mission from God. Not like the Blues Brothers in the movie, they're on a mission from God. You remember with the old police car and all that. No, he was, really was on a mission from God. And fifthly, he finished strong. He never gave up, no matter what opposition, no matter what opposing forces came against him in varied forms, he kept strong to the very end and modeled so many great qualities for us. Number one thing he did, though, he was humble. He knew who God was, he knew who he was, and he knew he wasn't God. And we're going to see that modeled in this passage, and I'm going to get to it in just a minute, when he dealt with his brothers. He understood there was a God who was bigger than him, who was orchestrating his life and the life of the nation of Israel and everything else, and he trusted that God. He didn't know everything that God was doing. None of us do, but he understood that God knew what he was doing, and that was good enough for him. The reality is we see Joseph in chapter 50 at the apex of his power in Egypt. His destiny had been reached. He's this influential leader, but we also see the apex of his character development, modeled over many years of a process of spiritual maturation. He didn't get to this place overnight, and we shouldn't be discouraged that we're not quite as refined or forgiving or gracious as Joseph was in his situation, but we should aspire to be that. Most of us, if not all of us, at one time or another in our lives, or maybe that's right now for some of us, have been in pain, are in painful relationships. Relationships that we expected love, we expected affection, we expected trust, we expected understanding and people to be there for us that turned out completely the opposite and turned very painful for us. 
I selected a short video clip to illustrate this, I think makes the point of somebody that might have expected some love and didn't get it. Take a look at the screens. This is Peaky, he's a male cat, domestic short hair. He's available for adoption, he's pet of the week, Placer County Animal Shelter. He's a very loving cat. <laughs> Hang on to us, please. Oh, yeah. Pinky. Pinky. Pinky, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> we got a wild cat on our hands. Pinky, settle down, bud. Careful, Cole. Careful. Oh, I get a catch pole. Somebody get a catch pole. Pinky. Just settle over there. No. Get a catch pole. Catch off over the ghetto. Yeah, because I'm not going to grab him. Whoa-hoo. Dude. Watch it, he's caught up in there. Yeah, Just yeah. disconnected from the dead. Ah! Ah! <sighs> uh, le last time I checked, Pinky still hasn't been adopted. <laughs> no, nobody got him. Uh, but you know, Life gets messy sometimes, doesn't it? Sometimes it gets really messy. And some of us are still carrying scars from situations kind of like that, figuratively speaking. It started out one way and it ended up really hurting us. Maybe some of us, if not all of us, life has knocked you down again and again and again. And every time you try to get back up, another steamroller comes over and flattens you again. You maybe even feel overpowered by your enemies or people that are opposing you at this point in time in your life. You feel like giving up because nothing ever seems to go right for you. What happens in the process of that is slowly but surely, one after the other, we start to give up on our dreams for our life, the high aspirations, the goals we once set or believed God had called us into. We start to let those die even as our discouragements grow. And instead of pursuing this vibrant, pr wonderful life that God has for us, we settle for just mere existence, limping along. It's so very hard for us to see God's bigger purpose when we're in the midst of trials like that. And maybe some of you are right in the middle of one of those. You see, Joseph, 37 years before what we read in chapter 50, had gone through that abusive time with his family, that very dysfunctional situation that happened to him. And I guarantee that while he was going through it, he didn't see and understand that God had a plan for this. He was in pain. He was feeling horribly rejected and abandoned. But he pressed on. He got to the next step. He got unstuck somehow. I recently read an account of someone whose life reminds me a lot of this Joseph who went through something like that. Dublin-born Christina Noble created a children's foundation in Vietnam and Mongolia, you might have heard of her, that has won her international awards, accolades, and honorary degrees. You see, this remarkable woman went to Vietnam when she was 40 years old and against improbable odds convinced the Ministry of Labor in Hanoi to give her official permission to work with street children there. She then raised money for a foundation that offers medical and nutritional care and education and vocational training. She's gone further and built a hospital, schools, and a shelter. Her foundation to this date, has helped more than one million destitute children, orphans, in Vietnam and Mongolia. Why did she do this? Because of her own brutal childhood. You see, instead of losing herself in bitterness and rage, Noble chose to forgive as much of the past as she could and to convert her pain into good works to help others. 
her perspective on this is stellar. She said this, if you don't forgive, you won't grow. She says, I had to forgive to keep my spirit alive. You see, Christina was the oldest of eight children, born in, as she put it, the God-struck, beer-soaked slum in southwest Dublin. All eight of these children were crammed into one room to sleep in, growing up in poverty there. Her father was physically abusive and an alcoholic. Her mother died young, and the eight children were separated into different institutions throughout Ireland. Just horrible pain of separation from family, losing her mother. And some years later, when Christina was finally going to be released, from the institution she'd been in, they gave her five Irish pounds, about $7, to just make her way in life. Well, her father showed up, picked her up, took the money from her, went into the pub, and then disappeared out the back door, and he never saw her again. She never saw her father again. Took the little bit that she had to live on and stole it from her and left her alone. She relays what happened next in these words after her father abandoned her. I went to live in the park, and I was 16. While living in the park, I was sexually assaulted by a group of men. I was bleeding badly and had to cover myself with dirt and scraps of paper. I remember shouting to God, why did you take my mother? The sexual assault resulted in a child, which was taken from her against her own will. She said this profound thing. She said, I knew that if I did not forgive, I would carry pure hatred inside of me that would, I would not be able to love anybody. First, she found a good therapist, doctor, who just listened to her to kind of move through this. Then she did the most profound thing possible. She put her forgiveness into action by dedicating her life to help street children. Every time Christina Noble has seen an orphan child in Vietnam or Mongolia helped and loved, she helped a little girl inside of herself as well. The story of her life, just if you care to look at it, I just learned this this week, has been captured in a major motion picture called Noble, just the word Noble. You can find that if you want to watch that. But Joseph, back to him, he was knocked down. He was knocked down hard again and again in his life, but he never lost sight of his dreams. He believed in a God who had a dream for his life. And Joseph ascended to the heights and reached his God-ordained destiny largely because he learned a few things. He learned, to, number one, to not focus on the negative things that have happened to him. How many of us can say that? How much of our mind space we have our quiet moments or we're in the difficult stages of life. We just go back and rehash and relive and rethink about the negative stuff that's happened to us. He didn't do that. He didn't allow his best energies to be spent wrestling with and wrangling over things in the past. Instead, he forgave all of those that offended and injured him. He made a decision to do that. He didn't wallow in self-pity, feeling sorry for himself, and that would have deterred him. He understood that from achieving God's destiny for his life. Friends, so many of us are carrying, holding on to, whether we know it or not, way too much pain. We live in the torment of soul while all the while we have the power through forgiveness to set ourselves free. So few of us reach God's destiny and potential that he intended for us, the greatness even for some of us, spiritually speaking, because we're wrapped up in the pettiness of trying to settle scores with people, the very people who would have no interest in settling a score with us. Very often, people don't even know the pain they've caused, but we're hung up with that, trying to wrestle with it. We've all been wounded. We've been hurt. We've been dinged up. We've been misunderstood, undermined, backstabbed, underappreciated. They may leave us feeling hopeless that our hopes and dreams of our life will never be achieved. Sometimes our lives get entirely derailed because some other flawed person has mistreated us 
or abused us or spoken harshly to us or disappointed us or cheated on us. But friends, we must choose, and we can choose that today, to no longer allow other people's flaws and their sins against us to determine either the quality of our life today nor the destiny that we are called to live out. Joseph modeled this. One of the greatest quotes you'll ever read on forgiveness comes from Louis Smeeds. He said this, To forgive is to set a prisoner free. Only discover that that prisoner is you. You realize this? You have the power as you sit in the space here this morning to set people free, to release forgiveness. Joseph reveals his strength in verses 19 through 21. I come back to them now. Joseph said to his brothers who were expecting punishment, they were expecting retaliation. They were expecting Joseph with all his power was going to, now that Jacob was out of the way, was going to just come back at them and harm them. Joseph says this, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. How in the world is he able to do that? Not only does he extend mercy, which is not to punish them, which he could have done, but he went further. He decided to bless them, to do good for them, to house them, to feed them, to clothe them, give them, get them jobs, use his influence. He did way past mercy, and he went all the way into grace. When we get offended, we've got to understand the workings of this. When we get hurt, there's something inside of us that stirs our anger, and it's a sense of justice that says somebody has to pay for this. They can't keep getting away with this. And so we hold on to that. We want to make things kind of even the score and set things right. Most often, we don't find a way to do that. So we're stuck there. But Joseph understood something about the nature of God's grace. You see, justice can be defined as getting what we do deserve. His brothers deserve to be punished. That would have been justice. But mercy is not getting what we do deserve. That would be just not punishing them. But grace is another level of Christ-likeness, is getting what we do not deserve. It's a positive thing. All of us have that thing inside of us that says we think justice should happen. And friends, quite aside from the spiritual component of this, there is a place for taking people to justice with the law. There is a place for seeing criminals put behind bars. There is a place for coming into the legal system and using it in a proper way to put evildoers in their place. There's absolutely a place for that. We're talking about what's going on in our hearts. Joseph reveals his underlying attitude. He responds when they're worried about him punishing them. He says, am I in the place of God? He understood. It wasn't his job to judge and condemn people, even though he had the position and the power to do it. He realized it was God's providence alone. You see, the scripture says about spiritual people like us that we make judgments about all things. We make a judgment about that was evil, that was good. This is good, this is bad. This is God's will, this is not God's will. We can make judgments about all things, but we are not ever called to pass judgment on any person. Big difference. To write someone off, to write someone out of the script of our life because they're just not worthy of me caring about them or praying for them. If we're real honest, there might be some people that we've written off Hopeless, helpless, not worthy of grace. 
It's so hard for us to accept this, but Joseph somehow found a way to do this. What we don't realize, though, while we're holding on to a grudge against somebody, we're holding on to the painful event. And every time we relive it, we think about it again and stir up the pain, we're giving life to the painful event. It's something we're doing. Someone might have heard us over and over again 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years ago, or maybe five minutes ago, I don't know, before you came in here. The fact is, as we rehearse it and don't release it out of our psyche and out of our being, we're giving it life, a life that it never needed to have. Holding a grudge is holding the pain. It's been said unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. It's hurting us. But Joseph demonstrates the better, the higher way. So the beginning of forgiveness is to relinquish our right to pass judgment and handing it over to God, the only just judge. Philip Yancey put it so wonderfully in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, by saying this, At last I finally understood. In the final analysis, forgiveness is an act of faith. By forgiving another, I am trusting that God is a better justice maker than I am. By forgiving, I release my own right to get even and leave all issues of fairness to God to work out. I leave in God's capable hands the scales that must balance justice and mercy. Very profound truth there, isn't it? Jesus said it this way in Matthew's Gospel in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7. He says, don't judge. In the context here, don't pass judgment, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That should be kind of like a wake-up call. Wait, the way I'm judging this person is the way you're going to judge me? Well, I don't want any piece of that. I want mercy. I deserve some slack. I deserve some understanding. Uh, People should understand why I offend them, but the people that offend me, they deserve to be punished. You see the incontinuity of that. Jesus sums it up. Look, you want judgment? Fine. You're going to be judged by the same principle you use to judge others. So the first step of getting to where Joseph got is to turn matters of justice over to God, and that's got to be intentional. That might take some time journaling, and all the people that you're still holding on to like that, that you hand them over to God intentionally by name. It's challenging as a teacher, a preacher, a person that does these kind of things like I'm doing right now is because in this last week, it stirred up a lot of stuff in my life. Every time we get into the scripture as ability to speak to us, I've had to process this stuff. Go, am I holding on? And and I found some things I needed to be more merciful about and I needed to be, stop passing judgment and I had to let go of it. It's a very healthy thing, but painful in the process. But I'm freer because of it. Nieder and Thompson in their great book, Forgive and Love Again, said this about forgiveness. Sometimes we get wrapped up in forgiveness and think it's, I've got to feel differently. I've got to feel good about this person. There's something that has nothing to do with feeling. It has to do with the decision. They say this, forgiveness is the heartfelt decision to release the person who hurt you from the obligation incurred when you were mistreated. Forgiveness is a decision. See how empowering that is? When others have offended us, they chose either wittingly or unwittingly, to hurt us or injure us or harm us or abuse us. They chose it. And now we have a choice to do something with it. It's a decision to release the offender from ever having to pay his obligation to you. When an offense is committed, there is a moral imperative that payment must be made to compensate for the wrong. This sense of justice is written into every fiber of our being. But forgiveness, this powerful choice, cancels the debt 
We see Joseph do that. He went from that mercy to grace when he said to his brothers and their families, he said, don't worry, I'm not only not going to punish you, as I said before, I'm going to make life good for you. Boy, that's a huge tall order, isn't it? But that's exactly what the scripture says. Jesus said in Matthew 5, he says, love your enemies. Pray for those that abuse you. Paul says, do good to people that have done wrong for you. This is a really tall order. Joseph got here, and he beckons to us through the pages of Scripture, just like Jesus did, is to rise up to the divine level, to do good to people who have done wrong. That takes some work. That takes some deep process. But friends, it's a place that God calls us to through the Scriptures today. How is he able to take that step of grace? Is because what Romans 8.28 says to us, then we know that in all things God works for the good of those that love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In the midst of a painful trial, a relational challenge, we're not going to see the big picture. But we've got to believe that there is one. If God has allowed something to happen, not caused, he'll never be the source of evil nor the cause of evil. Be clear on that. But if he's allowed something to happen to you and in your life, he, and only he, can turn it into something good. An evil thing done, God has the power, if we'll let him, to turn it into something good, as it did in Joseph's life. That's how he was able to extend grace. Because he said, you intended it for evil, but God, God used this for good, and now it's blessing many people. Friends, my question for all of us today, starting with me, is so what are we going to do? What can we decide to do here and now to be more like Joseph? Will we release our grudges, our resentment, our unforgiveness, and our bitterness before we set foot out of the space here? You know, that's within our power to do, to leave it at the foot of the cross right here today. And with God's help, we can. I'll go further. With God's help, we must. We can't let one more day go by in our lives, allowing the evil that has touched us, touched our lives, to forestall and postpone the profound destiny that God has called us to. I love this, this, this phenomenal quote. It says this, and I didn't write it, it's an unknown author. The first to apologize is the bravest. The first to forgive is the strongest. And the first to forget is the happiest. Friends, can we be the bigger person, have the bravery and courage to take that first step? And the answer is yes, we can, if we want to. If we really want to go forward, if we really want to release our destiny, release ourselves to what God wants us to live into, that's a first step we can take. So often we think forgiveness is weakness. Trying to reconcile with somebody who's hurt us is like giving in and being weak when in fact forgiveness is strength. It's saying, I'm bigger than that. I'm going on to God's call in my life and what you've done to me is no longer going to hold me back one more day. And setting others free ultimately sets us free. Close with this thought. Edward Lewis said these profound words. We define ourselves by the best that is in us, which is Christ's image not the worst that has been done to us. Can we determine today that we're not going to let anything that's happened to us hinder what God wants to do through us? To be the Josephs of our generation. To be the ones that are released to God's call and destiny. And like the woman we talked about, Christina Noble, who influenced a million children because she converted her pain and it's something profoundly good. How many more Christina Nobles are in this room today? 
Every single one of us has the potential. Let us pray. Father, we just thank you that on top of mercy, not punishing us for our sins because Christ was punished in our stead, you have given to us grace. You've given us a future and hope, a whole fresh start, and then a destiny in heaven and an opportunity to be difference makers, peacemakers, world changers in this world. And God, this world is so desperately in need of us as your followers to be the Josephs of this generation. God, help us move past the pain. Help us move past the abuse. Help us get out of the struggle and the circle that we're caught in and break out into the future that you have for us. God, I pray specifically for some that might be right in the middle of an abusive situation right now. God, I pray for deliverance, for protection, for healing. God, that you'd pour your healing salve over their heart and their mind and that you'd show them the way through and they'd be brought to wholeness. And may all of us be raised up by your Holy Spirit to be all that you called us to be. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. Thank you for that, Rick. Um, forgiveness is such a hard topic and